this morning we will continue, and I was grateful to have the time off. I'm so grateful for uh, Ed and, and having uh, him come and, and preach in here last week. Ed is our senior pastor, and, and I love his heart. He, he would just say, no, I'm, I'm one of the pastors here on staff the same way that I do. Um, but just grateful for the message that he preached. I was able to be away uh, at a volleyball tournament with our youngest. This is her, her first year in travel volleyball, and there is not a more intense stressful sport to watch than volleyball. And I was an absolute, I mean, like I felt every emotion sometimes within like 15 seconds of each other, but it was glorious. And I'm just so grateful to have been able to spend that time with my family. Uh, So we are in week three of our series through Psalm 139. And I I told you the first week, this is my favorite way to, to preach scripture, to just Let's park it somewhere for an extended amount of time and really listen to what God has to say to us through his word. We have a tendency when we read scripture to just, you know, kind of check the, like this, what is my reading plan for today? Let me just check that box and move on. And absolutely, that's important. It is so important for us to have the discipline of opening and approaching God's word and, and putting ourselves in a place where we just invite the Lord to speak to us through uh, the word, but there's something to be said for slowing down and, and really spending some time in one passage or one chapter, uh, as, as this were. And and I invited you the first week, and I hope some of you have done it, uh, to take these five weeks and to, you know, to make Psalm 139 your prayer, right? To pray these words. This this is a Psalm of David. These these words come from the heart of David. Uh, they come from the heart of one who has experienced the things. Uh, that God met in his faithfulness and, and that God responded to and that God answered. And so his, this, this psalm is, is a psalm of praise. And the thing that I love about it, and the, the, one of the ways that I think this psalm challenges us is that we have a tendency uh, to, to praise and to thank God for the things that God does for us. Uh, and we should do that. But, but that's, that, if we're not careful, that's how we tend to view God. God, what are you going to do for me today? And, and look, let's be honest, if God did nothing else for you ever at any point in your life from this point forward is the fact that God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death so that you might be forgiven and be welcomed into life with God, is that not enough? Amen. Right? But we have this tendency to just kind of approach God, like, what are you going to give me today? Man, God's so faithful and so patient with us. But this is a psalm and a prayer of just thanking God for who God is to David. Not for what God has done, but just who he is. What if we begin to just, God, thank you for who you are to me. Right? This, this is what we hear from the heart of David. And, and I know it seems weird to say, take this prayer and make it your prayer. But we do that all the time. The church has done that with the Lord's Prayer since, since it was handed down through the gospel writers. Like we, we've adopted that prayer and made it our own. And <clears throat> You know, and, and we live in a world now where it is it's so easy to catch someone in plagiarism. You're not plagiarizing scripture by making this prayer your prayer. If these words are meant to be living and active as it says of itself in Hebrews chapter 4, then, then that, there's something that God intends for us to, to do as we approach scripture, to take this and hear these words as if maybe they were written for us or to pray these words as if they come from our own hearts, right? And, and, and I just think that that's one of the beauties of this like this, this text, like this collection of, of words is that we are able to approach them as if we need them, we're able to approach them as if they can mean something for us individually. You're able to take a prayer like Psalm 139 and to pray it as your own and to make these words your words. And so I just, I just encourage you, if you haven't begun to do that, to take these weeks and do that. And the, and the title of this series 
is known. And, and it, because that's what we see in Psalm 139, that's what David is celebrating. He's celebrating the fact that he's known by God intimately. He's known by God nearly, not nearly known. Like he is, he is known in, in a way that is close and that's intimate. And this psalm paints this picture of, of God in, in a way that's unique to much of what we see in the Old Testament. And, and we have this tendency to think of the Old, that's the Old Testament God and this is the New Testament God. I really like the New Testament God. He seems kind and gracious and patient. And the Old Testament God, like that's where the bolts of lightning come from. And, and yet that's not, that's inaccurate. It's, it is, he is, there's one God. Not two different gods that we see represented in two different parts of the Bible that we have. But, but this psalm paints this picture for us of this, the relational nature of God that David has, has been able to experience. And you think about the journey of his life. Right? David, who was the least of, you know, the the sons of Jesse, when it was time for the, you know, the one to, to be named, Jesse brought forth his, his best sons, like who will be named king? He brought forth his best, and Samuel was like, no, is, it, is there another one? Do you have another? Well, there's, yeah, there's these. Well, no, is there another one? And, and there's David, the, the shepherd boy out in the field, and you just think about the journey that David has experienced with with God and, and the ways that he's been forgiven, the ways that his failure and his shortcoming has been met, and, and this psalm comes from that place. And David knows what it means to be known intimately by God, and we all have that desire within us. We all long to be known. We long to know that we matter. And, and within that is, is this, we long to be seen, right? I can't be known unless I'm seen, unless someone notices me, pays attention to me. And, and social media has made it easier than ever for us to make ourselves known. The question is, what is it that you are making known to the people that are viewing your social media feed? What is it that you are showing them? What is it that you are offering to them? Is it authentically you or is it the best version of you that day? But we do that because we want people to pay attention. We want people to notice us. We want people to know us. And a psalm like this, to paint this picture of who God is in in God's faithfulness helps us understand something new uh, and, and maybe life-changing about God, but it also, uh, in, in, in turn, helps us understand something about ourselves. Uh, Daniel Aiken says it this way, David knew, as we must know, that wrong ideas about God will inevitably lead to wrong ideas about ourselves. So our hope in this series is that and hearing that you are known by God, it, it maybe gives you a different understanding of who God is. And as you grow in your understanding of who God is, you grow in your, your understanding of who you truly are or he, who you are as God's and who you are meant to be. And I want to follow that with a quote that I've shared before, but I just I feel like it, it really captures and sets the starting point for this morning especially. So Aiken's quote again. David knew, as we must know, the wrong ideas, that wrong ideas about God will inevit inevitably lead to wrong ideas about ourselves. And, and Brennan Manning wrote prior to that in his book, Abba's Child, we unwittingly project onto God our own attitudes and feelings toward ourselves. As Blaise Pascal wrote, God made man in his own image and man returned the compliment. Thus, if we feel hateful toward ourselves, we assume that God feels hateful toward us. 
But we cannot assume that He feels about us the way we feel about ourselves unless we love ourselves compassionately, intensely, and freely. Manning then goes on to say, in human form, Jesus revealed to us what God is like. He exposed our projections for the idolatry they are and gave us the way to become free of them. It takes a profound conversion to accept that God is relentlessly tender and compassionate toward us just as we are, not in spite of our sins and faults. That would, be, that would not be total acceptance, but with them. Though God does not condone or sanction evil, He does not withhold His love because there is evil in us. When we begin to know and see God that way, it begins to explain and tell us something about who we are to God. That we are known, that we are seen, and ultimately that we are loved, which is the great desire of the human heart. Think about the things that we chase and the things that we pursue. We do so in order to matter, in order to make a name for ourselves, ultimately in order to be seen, in order to be loved. Our scripture for this morning from Psalm 139 is verses 7 through 12. If you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand with me. Psalm 139, a psalm of David, verses 7 through 12. David writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the first week we looked... At the, the, the passage or the verses that follow that, this idea that um, David, David prays, he says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and, and this idea that God knows us, this picture that's being painted there of God's intimate knowledge of us, and, and it's so important for us to wrap our minds around it, like this, one of the things that this psalm does is to paint and, and give us a, a very clear understanding of what we call God's um, omniscience, that is God's knowledge of things, God's omnipresence, that's what we are getting ready to talk about, uh, and God's omnipotence, that is God's power, right? And God's omniscience and God's omnipotence, um, we can maybe kind of wrap our, our minds around, like we can at least begin to understand what it means to know more than another person knows. Like you've, you've been in situations where you're like, I, 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 I know more about this thing than, than this other person or than these other people. Um, that is, unless you are, are talking to a four-year-old, in which case you know nothing and they know everything. Um, or you're talking to your teenager, in which case you as the parent know nothing and they somehow have all of the wisdom in the world. But there are situations where we are sure that we have more knowledge or more wisdom. We know more about this thing than another person. So God's omniscience, I, I, can, I can kind of begin to understand that. 
There are situations where you know you are stronger than another person. Omnipotence, like we can begin to understand that. There was a time, there was a time, and I'm not a basketball player, but there was a time when I could, I could beat both of my boys in the game of basketball. Those days are gone. But I enjoyed that while it was here. I had more power, I had more strength, my ability to, to score and dunk on my kids was celebrated. Now I'm being punished for it. I don't play basketball against them. I've learned I know better. But God's omnipresence, I mean, how often have we said, I, I can't be in two places at once, or I wish I could be in two places at once, because two things are happening at the same time that I really want to be a part of, or there are two people in my life that I care deeply for. Both of them are going through something, and I wish I could be with both of those people at the same time. I wish I could be in both places at once. So we have a harder time wrapping our minds around God's omnipresence. And yet, we see in this psalm, so important for us to understand and begin to open ourselves up to the truth that God knows everything about us. God knows everything about you. Isaiah 40, Isaiah writes these words, Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 12, who has measured, um, that's not what, yeah, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance, that's God's omnipotence, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? The answer to that is, is no one. God didn't learn. He's not learning things about you the ways that we learn things about ourselves or learn things about other people. God knows everything there is to know about you. All of it. All of your fears, all of your hopes, all of your dreams, all of the things that you're ashamed of, all of it. He knows how you're wired, how you think your tendencies, all of it. No one taught God those things. And God's omnipresence, is there a space and time in your life where God is not? The answer, based on what we see in this psalm and what we, if we open ourselves up to it, experience in our lives, the, the answer is no. There is nowhere in your life that God is not. There is nowhere that God is not present. That's the sermon. That's actually the series. <laughs> we, could, we could pray and be done and say the same thing next week and pray and be done. There's nothing about you that God doesn't know. There's nowhere that you are that God is not. And there's nothing that you're going through that God cannot handle. God's omniscience, God's omnipresence, God's omnipotence. And yet... And yet, we are so resistant to giving ourselves over to that significantly weighty truth about who God is. We are so resistant to trusting that God knows every detail of our lives. We are so resistant to releasing control to the one who knows everything about us and who is also, at the same time, sovereign over everything that is happening in this world. 
We are so resistant to, to trusting the one who is present with us at all times, who, who is with us every move that we make. We are so resistant to trusting the one who is strong enough to handle our weakness, strong enough to handle our fears and our doubt and our worry. And so we turn to other people, we turn to other things, we, we sometimes just choose to medicate and ignore the reality of, of the weight and, and the pain that we tend to carry around inside of us because we are just desperate to know that someone knows what we are going through. We are desperate to know that we are seen. We are desperate to know that we are loved. And yet what we see from the Psalm of David, from this prayer that gives us this beautiful picture of who God is, is that God knows it all, God sees it all, and God is sovereign over it all. And that ought to inspire us and give us hope and invite us not to run from God, but to run toward God. So David is, is, is asking this rhetorical question. He's not, he's not seeking an answer. He's not like calculating. He's not planning his escape here. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Like he's not kind of feeling it out and wondering if there is going to be a place or if there is a place that, that God is not. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David knows that the answer is nowhere because he's, he's tried this is a man who knows what it is to hide himself from the Lord, who knows what it is to try to hide in his shame, to, to recoil and to hide these things that he's not proud of. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. And yet there, there are people in Scripture that we've seen do this. They think of the story of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet who was called to go and, and proclaim to the people of Nineveh, Nineveh God's judgment so that they would turn to God. And Jonah's like, I'm not... I don't want to go to Nineveh. Those people are wicked. Like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with Nineveh. And so Jonah says, I'm, going to, I'm actually going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to run to Tarshish instead. Gets on a boat, you know, begins to sail. A storm comes up. Jonah's in the, in, in, you know, the hull of, of, of the boat, the hull of the ship, and he knows what, what the storm is. He knows that, that this, is, this is God just kind of looking at him saying, oh, Jonah, that's cute. Like you thought you could run away from me and hide. I mean, it, it is like as a child when we say, I, my, I'm closing my eyes. I can't see you, therefore you can't see me. Like that, that's the equivalent of what Jonah is attempting uh, to do here. And, and so Jonah goes overboard and, and he's swallowed up in the belly of a, a giant fish. And, and he's... he's like sitting in the, in the belly of this giant beast and, and still is, is thinking, oh man, this is, maybe God can't find me here. The fish spits him out on the shore and he's like, fine, fine. I'll go and I'll tell the people of your judgment. So he goes to Nineveh and <clears throat> tells the people of God's judgment, goes to the king and the king puts on sackcloth and ashes and he's like, we need to repent. And he, and he commands the whole, the whole city to do that. And, and Jonah sees God's, God's favor and sees that the people have done exactly what God hopes they would. They've, they've turned, they've repented from their evil ways. And then Jonah goes and just sits in the wilderness and sulks. Like he's mad that God has shown favor to these people. He's mad that God has shown grace to them and has forgiven them. And so he, so he sulks. He just, just again, and kind of in his heart, just in hiding from the Lord. And, and we can laugh at that, and we can say that's funny, but how, how often have we done that in our own lives? 
Maybe, maybe there's something that God's just been pressing on your heart and you feel like, God, I know God is asking me to do this thing. I know it. And I'm going to just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, I'm going to leave him on, you know, unread. Like I'm just, I'm going to, I'm screening the call. Like I'm just going to pretend like I didn't hear. Which is a funny thing to say. Like God knows that you heard. God knows what you're thinking. God knows what you're feeling in this thing that God is asking you to do. And yet we, we ignore that, we pretend that, no, I can't see you, you can't see me, la, 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 la. God is present even in that wrestling match. And so we busy ourselves. And in the busyness, we think, no, nah, I, I have this to do, I can't get to this thing, God, that you're asking me to do. Maybe you don't physically flee from the Lord, but in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind, your thoughts, in your activity, what are ways that you are fleeing from God? What are ways that you are, that you are running from God? And, and the thing that we find so beautiful about who God is to us is that I think in his grace, God allows us to attempt to flee. God allows us to run. There are ways and there are ways that I've run from God in my life, not physically, but in my heart, in my mind, my thought patterns, my activity. And I think God is faithful to allow us that, almost to allow us to exhaust ourselves. We just kind of get to the end of it and we're like, fine, I give up. And, and we realize that God has been there all along that we never outran God, that we never ran from God. There's, there's a, a story that I read this week. It's of a, a state trooper in, in Wyoming. Is, um, he was recounting this, this story. And in places where there's a lot of snowfall, if, if you see you know, a car kind of stuck in a snowbank, law enforcement will stop and make sure that like, they, you, know, you don't want people to freeze to death. So there's a man, it's 3 in the morning, he's doing his patrol, he hears that there's a car stuck in the snowbank, and so he goes to check on it, and there's an an older gentleman in it, and he's passed out. The car's running. There's an empty um, alcohol, alcohol bottle in, in his lap, and officer knocks on the window. Nothing. Shines a flashlight, knocks on the window a little harder. The man wakes up, and in his panic, stomps on the gas, grabs the wheel, stomps on the gas. And, and, the, and you know, so the speedometer's reading 20 miles an hour, 30, wheels are just spinning because he's stuck in a snowbank, 35 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour. And so, so this trooper is like, running next to him. Buddy, you got to stop the car. <laughs> Faster, 50, 55 miles an hour, officers just jogging in place next to him. I really need you to stop the car. You got to get out. And eventually he gets the man to stop and he takes him. To, and I mean, imagine like the story that that guy had to tell. Like he, he, is, he is in prison. He's in jail rather sobering up. And he's like, you are not going to believe this. There is, there is a patrolman who can run 50 miles an hour. I tried, I tried to outrun him, and he kept pace with me the whole time, and eventually I just gave up and had to turn the car off and get out of it. I think that that's what it's like when we attempt or endeavor to, to run. Oh, thank you. I ran my glasses off. Uh, <clears throat> When we attempt or endeavor to run from God, it's, we're spinning our wheels going nowhere. God is patiently running along next to us, just waiting for us to give up, to, to run out of steam, as it were, to throw up our hands. David has experienced this in his life, and so he's able to, 
to write about it, and he paints this picture. All right, if I go up to the heavens, God, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, I mean, imagine, you know, you're watching a sunrise. You're seeing the sun begin to come up, and the first rays are spreading out into the sky over the horizon, and that's the farthest point that you can see. If I choose to go and dwell there, if I, or if I go as far as I can the other direction and, and choose to, to dwell there, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And I think so often we're worried about that hand of judgment. And, and there is judgment for the sin in our lives. Absolutely, God, God can't condone those things. He can't condone our sinfulness. But it also does not deter God from drawing near to us. Sometimes we do feel the weight of God's discipline in our lives. It's a good thing. Again, it's grace. God choosing to discipline us, to reveal to us our weakness and our brokenness. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Imagine those of you who are parents or who have cared for, for little ones and it's, you're crossing a street with them. They reach up to grab your hand and you grab that hand. But you're, not, you're not trusting the grip of that, that toddler. You're not trusting the grip of that three-year-old. You're, you're making sure that you have a tight hold on the hand of that child because you know it's your job as protector to lead them safely across the street. God's not trusting our ability to hang on. He doesn't rely on us to make sure that we have a tight grip. What David is saying here, the picture that he's painting is that the strength of the hand of God is, is what he's relying on to guide him, to lead him, to shelter him, or, or to usher him to safety, to usher him through the things that would lead David to want to hide from God. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. And I think it's easy to read a psalm like this and, and ask the question, why, why is it that we would want to run? Like, why would I want to run from God? Well, I think it depends on where you are in that given moment in your life. Like if you feel like, I'm, I'm, I am living in a way that I really feel like I'm, I'm trying to honor the Lord, I'm spending good time with the Lord, I feel like I'm trying to love other people well, trying to be a reflection of Jesus in this world. So we, we want to draw near to God because we're, there's something about that nearness that we're experiencing and trying to live into. But what about those moments when we are ashamed of something we've done, when we're ashamed of the way that we've acted, when we're ashamed of a decision that we've made or the way that we've treated someone or, or decisions that we make behind closed doors. Like, what, what about those moments? Those are the moments that we want to just create, like to take the light and just make it darkness around us as if, as if we can just hide and as if the darkness will hide us and will keep us from, from the sight of God because we're ashamed of what we've done. But praise God that he's not deterred by our darkness. He's not, he's not put off by it. He's not afraid of the darkness because the darkness is as light to God. 
There is no darkness within you. There is no darkness in this world. There is no place that God is afraid to go. And so if, if as we're reading this, if you feel like, you know what, for me, like that, that's the point. That's where I am. That's what speaks to me. I'm, I'm trying to find ways for the darkness to hide me because there's darkness in me that I am ashamed of, that I am not proud of. That darkness is not dark to God. That, that thing in your life, that place that you are not willing to allow anyone else into, God is willing to march right into it. And in fact, God is already present in it with you. It's just a matter of waking up and opening your eyes and realizing it. Praying, God, help me to see where you are in this darkness. Help me to see the ways that you are present in this thing that I've tried to hide from the world around me. Trusting that God can take that darkness and explode it, blow it up with, with the light of his goodness and the light of his glory. This psalm of David, is, is, it's, these are the words of someone who realizes that God is coming at him all the time. It's true of us. There's never a point, there's never a moment in which God is not coming at you or coming after you. There's never a moment in which God is not present with you. Yet for some of us, maybe you're in the season. I've been in seasons like this in my life where what you are experiencing is maybe it's because of some brokenness. Maybe it's because of some, some sin, some shame. Maybe it's, you know, like I've, 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 been try, pray, I've been praying. I've been opening the word. I've been trying to spend time with God, and I feel like God is nowhere to be found. Nowhere. Maybe you, you've been coming to worship regularly, and you feel like, no, I can't. Like I'm not sensing, I'm not experiencing, I'm not feeling the presence of God. God is nowhere. God is nowhere in, in, in my prayers. We, we see the word. Uh, would you put this word up on the screen? Nowhere. God's nowhere. God's nowhere in my brokenness. God's nowhere in my shame. God's nowhere in my disappointment. God's nowhere in my fears. God's nowhere in my family. God's nowhere in my relationship. God's nowhere in my concern over my future. God's nowhere in me seeking wisdom for a decision that I have to make. God's nowhere in, in me dealing with this thing that's been a part of my life that I've tried to put down for so long, and yet it just keeps, like I just can't seem to let it go. And I've prayed and I've asked, and God seems to be nowhere in it. Friends, if it is true, if it is true that there is nowhere that God is not, then perhaps the problem is not God. Perhaps it is our inability to recognize where God is and how God is present with us in all of those things and more that I just named. What if we began, in, rather than saying God is nowhere, what if, what if our, our rhetoric, what if our statement, what if our prayer began to be, God, you are now here. I can't see it, but I trust that you are now here in this moment. I don't know what's coming in the future, and I'm asking you for wisdom, and I don't see it. And rather than saying, God, you're nowhere to be found, we begin to say, nope, 
God, I know that you are now here. Right, right now, in my questioning, in my doubt, in my fear, in my shame. Imagine how things begin to look different if this becomes our view of God. Not that God is nowhere to be found, but friends, that God is now here. Present in everything that you're facing. In every diagnosis, in every difficult conversation, in every phone call, in every broken relationship, in every impulsive action. God is now here. How do we recognize that? Two things. John the Baptist and then Jesus after him invited people to repent, to turn around. Sometimes in our running away from God, our running, our attempting to run from God, we lose sight of where God is. And this idea of, of stopping our running and merely turning around, we would see that God has been there with us all the time. And C.S. Lewis is the horse and, and the boy. As, as Shasta is nearing the end of his journey, he talks about the multiple lions that, are, that were there all along. And, and Aslan says, no, it was one lion. That was me nipping at the heels of the horse to make it run faster. That was me that pushed you to, to the shore in, in safety when you were in the boat. It was me all along, always there. So maybe some of us this morning during our closing song, we just, just maybe you can kneel where you are. You can come to the altar up front. You can find Patty or myself. And maybe it's just a prayer of repentance. God, I'm, I'm tired of running. I want to turn back to you. And the other we see in, in Psalm 4610, be still, be still and know that I am God. Maybe that's the invitation for you this morning to just slow down enough. Just quiet your mind, quiet your heart, quiet the noise, put the phone down and realize that in fact, God is now here. So what happens if we begin to live with that understanding and that mentality that there's nowhere that you can be that God is not? One, it lets you know that you are never alone. You are never alone. No matter what you are facing, you get to say, hey, don't worry, God knows where I am. On one of my trips up to Ohio when I was, um, before I finished my time at United uh, Theological Seminary when I was pursuing my degree, I would, I would drive up there occasionally, and I was on my way up there for a, um, for an intensive week, and, and like, awful snowstorm, I mean, I'm on the phone with my brother, he's like, you know, looking at a weather map, and I was like, How, you know, wh- what does it look like, and he's like, it does not look good, and I'm, I'm in a rented vehicle, my loving wife had made me lunch and dinner, and so I'm in the car, I'm like, I think I'm just going to just going to go. Like, I just need to get there. I mean, snow, I've never seen it snow like this. I'm like, if the 18-wheeler's going, I'm just going to tuck in behind this guy and keep going. I don't know if that's the best logic or mentality, but that's what I did. 
And somewhere in Ohio, I pull into this rest area, and there are cars everywhere. I mean, just stopped, like families, they're trying to figure out what's going on. I had to go really bad. And so I pull into this rest area, leave the car running, run in, use the facilities, run back out. People are looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, get in the car and just keep driving. It's okay, God knows where I am. It'll be fine. I didn't call my wife and tell her what the conditions were. Adam knew what was going on. Piper didn't know where I was, but God knew where I was. Never alone. And if we know that we are never alone in anything that we are facing, it allows us and invites us to begin to live life a little more courageously as the people of God. Knowing that there is no step of faith that we can we can step out into, that there is no thing that God is asking us to do that we can step out into that God is not already present in. What would it look like for us to know that we are not alone, that you are known, that you are seen, and that you are loved by God? That there's no place that you can go that he is not already. And that there's nothing that you can do that will change that. What if the church began to live a little more courageously, to look at the world around us where people are desperately trying to to be seen, to be known, to be loved, and to say, hey, let me tell you about the God who knows everything about me and still invites me into relationship with himself. Let me tell you about this decision that I'm trying to make. I don't know what the outcome is, but I know the one who holds it. His name is Jesus. He's already there preparing a place for me. What if the best thing about every place that you go from this point forward in your life is the fact that God is already there? It's not the place that you're going. It's the fact that the presence of God is there waiting for you when you get there. And the presence of God is walking with you as you make the journey along the way. What if we begin to live more courageously and say, you know what? These things, this is temporary. And yet God is present with me in it. There's a hurting world around us that is desperate to know that it is seen, it is known, it is loved by God. And there's a God who is present even in the darkness. And we as the church, as the followers of Christ, have the opportunity to take that light with us where we go. Amen? Amen. Stand up. Let's pray together. Gracious God, what a weighty truth. We confess to you that we cannot even begin to fathom, to fathom the fact that you are present with us always, that there is never a time where you are not There is never a place where you are not present. Forgive us for trying to run. Forgive us for covering our eyes and saying, if you can't see me, I can't. Or if I can't see you, you can't see me. Forgive us for the ways, God, that we are childish. You call us to be like children, but you don't call us to be childish. I pray that like children, we would begin to learn to trust your presence. Like children, we would begin to learn to trust your love for us. We would begin to learn to trust that we are seen and that we are known, that we are never alone. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts to live courageously for you, to walk into a world where people everywhere feel alone and be able to say with confidence to them, hey, you are not May we be those people. May we be that church. Jesus, in your name we pray these things. Amen. Let's sing together.